We started at the intersection of Fifth Avenue and Jackson Street, a place now a few blocks behind us, a place where two lives crossed and one life ended. Lyman had left Gary long before, but he never forgot about it, for good reason. He still had family here. He was poised to make more money than anyone in his family could have ever imagined. Lyman understood what it was to be poor. He understood what that kind of money could mean, but he refused to let it define him or be the most important thing in his life. Their big purchase was they bought two sobs, he and his wife, for 11,000 each. There was a quote I really liked from People Magazine. They said, I don't fly airplanes and I don't own a yacht. And he didn't want to. He just liked being a ball player. I have to tell you that people tend to assume that if you have money, that you act a certain way, you buy certain things. We weren't China crystal sterling silver people, you know? We're just simple. Even when we got married, people were like, why don't you have a diamond? Why We had matching bands. I didn't want a diamond. You don't need all that. In the more than 150-year history of Major League Baseball, only one player has ever been murdered during a season. This is the story of that player, of that murder, and the story of what happened to the man who murdered him. For Fox Sports Audio, I'm Tom Rinaldi, and this is Wesley, the story of the life, career, and death of Lyman Wesley Bostock. The base hit inside the bag, and holding it second is the batter Bostock. He was always on plane, a perfect gap swing. He was an artist. Lyman Bostock, star outfielder for the California Angels, one of the highest paid players in baseball, shot to death late last night in Gary, Indiana. Mr. Smith did it and got away with murder. The guy had to feel like he had to be Superman rather than Lyman Bostock. If I can't perform to my capability, then I don't think I deserve the money. Hey folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie. Formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services. Marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now, you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, 
They've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. Episode 4, Right Place, Right Time. After three superb seasons in Minnesota, the last where he'd finished second in the American League in batting to his teammate Rod Carew, Lyman was determined to find a team that knew what he was worth. In Minnesota, he never made more than $20,000 a season, three and a half percent of the highest paid player in baseball then, Mike Schmidt. There were plenty of clubs ready to pay Lyman, plenty more. Lyman's wife, Yuvine, remembers that time. I actually thought he was going to go with the Yankees for a little bit, but in the end, he wanted to be closer to home with his mom, and he felt he could give back more being in the city where he lived, which makes sense. Lyman started fielding calls from both leagues, knowing he was in a position of leverage, inconceivable just a few years earlier. The Yankees in particular were targeting Lyman. In this episode, quotes by Lyman not recorded on audio or video are read by his brother-in-law, Bill Brooks, like this one Lyman gave to the New York Times. Mr. Steinbrenner was going to come out, but I told him not to waste that trip that I decided. I'm not a flashy guy. I'm not Joe Namath or Clyde Frazier. Joining the Yankees or the Red Sox would place him with playoff contenders. With the Mets, he could be a star on a big stage. Going to the Chicago White Sox would mean playing in front of family. And then there were the Angels, who represented something else to Lyman and to Yuvine. It was home, and I really think he just wanted to be in the city where he lived so he can just give more back and be close closer to family. I think there was more of a fit for who we are and our values than, say, New York. Being in the right place at the right time is still being at the right place was the fit, where you already have a history where you can give back where you already know where the needs are. The Angels were owned by Gene Autry, the famous singing cowboy. I'm back in the saddle again. Out where a friend is a friend. Autry had hosted his own TV show in the 50s on his way to building out a broader business empire. A true fan, he kept his own scorecard while watching games. Autry's club had much to offer, but also a dark history that seemed to hang over it. A franchise that was, and is in many ways, scarred by tragedy. In May 1965, reliever Dick Wants died of a brain tumor. In 1970, relief pitcher Minnie Rojas was paralyzed in an accident that killed two of his children. Seven years later, in 1977, former number one draft pick Mike Miley died in a one-car crash in Louisiana. The hardships are also more recent for the club. 
Aiden Hart was rushed to the hospital where he died from his injuries just after 6 o'clock this morning. In 2009, Angels pitcher Nick Aidenhart was killed by a drunk driver. And in 2019, pitcher Tyler Skaggs died of an overdose of the drug fentanyl. Breaking news, the mysterious death of a Major League Baseball player. Angels pitcher Tyler Skaggs found dead in his hotel room in Texas. He just pitched a game on Saturday. He was only 27 years old. A club official was found guilty of supplying Skaggs with the drugs. If Lyman knew about any of the club's dark history that preceded him, or could have known about the more recent tragedies, one fact remained. He chose to come home to be a California angel. I think the people here appreciate me a lot more because uh, I'm from the area, and I hope I can please the people here. November 21st, 1977, one day before his 27th birthday, Lyman signed one of the richest contracts in baseball and in all of sports. Lyman, welcome back to Southern California. Must be good to be back. Thank you, Larry. Yes, it is uh, good to be back home uh, to try to do something different. Um, you know, most football players don't get a chance to come back to their home and play. And I think it's a great thrill for me to be able to come back to California and, and try to thrill the fans like I did in Minnesota. The occasion was marked with a ceremony and press conference at Anaheim Stadium. A Friday morning, I made a decision, and it was a very tough decision because, you know, the pinstripes, uh, very tempting in the big city, the Big Apple is where most ballplayers like to be, and I took a lot of thought. I was leaning towards the pinstripes instead of Halo, but I think my mother and my family had a lot to do with it. Uveen was interviewed that day as well. I really did want to stay in California. It makes it a lot easier on us, and we'd like to be close to our families. And uh, he has outside interests that he can uh, look after, too. What kind of a person is he? <laughs> he's a very nice person. He's always joking around. He likes to play around, and um, he's really a big, strong baseball fan. I mean, he just eats and sleeps baseball. His deal with the Angels was for five years, $2.25 million. In 1978, he'd be making more than 20 times what he'd made the season before. About the contract, Lyman said, I hope people don't relate to me as a high-paid ball player. hope they relate to me as Lyman Bostock of the California Angels. As for playing with a multi-million dollar deal, perhaps Lyman explained his perspective best when he was quoted in the sporting news. The big money was out there to get People ask me all the time how I could get the money when Willie Mays and Babe Ruth and all the other guys didn't get this kind of money. I tell them, don't ask me if I'm a better base stealer than Maury Wills. I have to say no. Am I a better outfielder than Roberto Clemente, Willie Mays, or Mickey Mantle? Again, I have to say no. But if you ask me if I was in the right place at the right time, I have to say yes. The New Deal would bring more than money. Scrutiny and pressure came with it. And with them, one of the worst times of Lyman's young career, an epic batting slump. How he handled it would define him as much more than a hitter. The media calls it a slump. We call it over 15 or over 20. 
they call it a slump. It never starts with just striking out four times in a game. It always starts out when you hit two or three balls hard, but you hit them right at somebody. But you're still 0 for 4 for the game, so in your mind you're leaving the clubhouse 0 for 4. That's former batting champion Carney Lansford, a teammate of Lyman Bostock on the Angels, describing what a batting slump feels like. That happens more than one game in a row, two or three in a row. Now all of a sudden it becomes 0 for 8, 0 for 12, and then it just gets in your head. And trust me, I've been there a number of times, and I wasn't making the kind of money at that time that Lyman was, but you go back to your room at night, and sometimes you just lay in bed, you're staring at the ceiling, saying to yourself, will I ever get another hit? It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Before arriving in L.A., Lyman had never had an extended slump. From the earliest parts of his career, some of the greatest hitters in the game recognized his potential and the beauty of his swing. Players like his former Twins teammate, Hall of Famer and seven-time batting champion, Rod Carew. You know, he was similar to me, but I was more in a a crouch. Um, He was loosey-goosey because he used his hands you know, really well as a hitter. He was a student, you know? He would always ask me, what do you think of that at bat? Or my approach. And, you know, I I would say to him, you know, just use your hands and use your legs because those are the two things that are very important besides seeing the ball, you know, come up to home plate. Few ever saw the ball as well as Carew or hit it as well. One was George Brett. He hit a lot like Carew. You know, he was a left-handed hitter. His stance was pretty similar. A guy that could hit the ball to all fields, a guy that could run, um, a good athlete. He was an artist. No longer in the relative obscurity of Minnesota, and no more the up-and-comer, Lyman started the 78 season, expected to be a star, and paid to perform like one. That's what Brett could sense from a distance as Lyman's season started in California. I can only imagine what it's like not only to be a free agent and become one of the highest paid players in the sport and go to a new team, let alone your hometown. I mean, the guy probably had to feel like he had to go out there and be Superman rather than Lyman Bostock. And I think one of the one things that makes players good players is they know who they are and they try to be the best player they can be. And Lyman was probably trying to be more than he could be. In his first 10 games as an angel, his first 39 at-bats, 
Lyman got two hits. Scott Osler is a sports writer and columnist who was covering the Angels that season. Lyman sucked in the first month. He could not, could not hit. He had some expectations that he put on himself because he was coming home. He was coming back to Southern California, pretty close to where he grew up. And so he's around people who, who knew him and his friends and family. And he wasn't used to stardom. It was new to him. When he went into a slump, I think it really got to him. The fact that he was home in front of his own people, the fact that he was letting his team down and expected him to perform and to lead them, and the fact that this money that he had signed for, was, was that really weighed on him. I think he, he felt a responsibility to be worthy of all that cash. His wife, Yuvine, saw the struggles up close. He was a really miserable person. He wasn't happy. He wasn't happy with himself. You know, and he, the more he tried, it was frustrating. The more he tried, he seen, it seemed that it, it was just too much and trying to figure out, like, what is it? So it was a very difficult time. You know, just mentally, just locked, just, just pressing and pressing and pressing. He would practice when there wasn't a need to practice, just trying to, to figure it out and, and get out of the slump. It was just, he just needed a space to be able to do it. With the failure to hit came the doubts. Lyman would arrive at the ballpark and sit in his car, alone in the parking lot, hesitant to go to the clubhouse. I have. I, I've been doing a lot of unnecessary things, uh, a lot of overtime and thinking at night and at the plate. Uh, that's no good. I, that's not me. Off camera, he was even more honest, telling the Washington Post, I was almost hallucinating, seeing myself step out of my body at the plate it's the way some people think they see Martians. And the Associated Press. You try to blot everything out when you're up there, but things run through my mind like a ticker tape. I couldn't hold a thought. I couldn't concentrate on anything. I looked out there and I was seeing 18 men instead of eight. By the last week of April, Lyman was hitting a feeble 147, the worst month by batting average of his pro career playing back at home, a star, making more than he'd ever made. So, he asked for a meeting with the Angels' owner, Gene Autry, and Lyman made a stunning request. He wanted to refuse his month's salary. All of it. More than $40,000. Again, Scott Osler. He said that, I'm going to give the money back for this. I'm not going to take any salary for this month. I'm going to get the team back my money. I understood that this was kind of a dramatic thing. But I just didn't understand how dramatic. When was the last time that happened? Well, that was the first and last. The time that anyone I know in any sport ever said, I'm doing crappy. I'm going to get back my money for the month. I believe that Lyman was totally 100% sincere about wanting to give back his salary for that month. His wife, Yuvine. He really believes he didn't earn it. It's so simple but so hard to believe, right? And who thinks of doing that? And really, it kind of made sense. I mean, I like I, I get it, but until Mr. Autry said, well, when you have a really good day, we're not gonna pay you more. And I, I think that kind of like made sense. Autry, the team owner, 
wouldn't take the money back. This didn't change Lyman's mind, so he accepted it and then donated it. All of his month's pay to charity. A number of people say, well, these athletes are making so much money, but you made a statement that you want to give it back or give it to charity if you're not performing. Did you mean this? I really meant it because uh, I know myself as Lyman Bostock, and I'm not that type of person to take money, and I know I'm not doing well, especially that type of money that I'm receiving. Uh, I don't feel like I gave Mr. Autry uh, a full month's work. Uh, I played very good defense, and that's good, too. That's complimentary to him uh, and the ball club. But for me, that's not the way Lyman Bostock performs. Not If I came perform to my capability, then I don't think I deserve the money. Lyman's teammate and friend Kenny Landro was caught off guard by Lyman's choice. I was like, hey, you know what? I'm a rookie, barely making it. I'm only making $20,000 for the year. Maybe you could... <laughs> Just send some of that over this way, <laughs> you know. But, but I was just joking with him. But my my reaction was like, oh, my God, man, you, you are really making a stand. No athlete, certainly none of Lyman's stature or his pay grade, had ever made such an offer before. None has since. Again, Scott Osler on The Public Reaction. We always talk about these athletes and why are they worth all this money and all this stuff. And here's a guy who actually is aware of the fact that he is super well compensated and, and wants to live up to the money as opposed to just saying, ah, just give me the money. I don't care if I slump. So uh, the reaction was basically very, very supportive of Lyman. Lyman took the $40,000 he was paid in April, worth nearly $180,000 in today's dollars, and gave it away to various charities working with youth in Southern California and to the Vermont Square Methodist Church, where he'd already donated after signing his new contract. I think what you said is going to mean a lot to those kids that you work with, and you do continue to work with those kids, even in the even during the season, don't you? Well, I usually see them occasionally. They come by and they talk to me and stuff like that and get advice, but I'm probably to call them up now and get some advice from them. Yuveen was in full support of the decision. Here's her brother, Bill Brooks. I think he kind of set a precedent, and he made a decision of what he felt was right. You can't do anything but respect someone for doing for making a decision like that because he felt he didn't deserve it. He was able to somehow continue to fight through this in a positive manner to where he started producing. And so he went from not being able to hit the ball to all of a sudden getting the stroke back again and slowly but surely worked his way back up As the donations were handed out and the season marched on, sure enough, Lyman Bostock began hitting, and hitting some more. With an almost impossible goal, as he told the Associated Press. I still think I could hit 300 this season. Hitting 300 is going to be tough, but I'm a tough hitter. If I keep my sanity, I've got a shot at it. With that first month of the season over, as spring wore on, Lyman found his form again he put together a 14-game hitting streak. For the month of June, under new manager Jim Fergosi, he hit a sensational 404 
and the team was tied for first place in the American League West. Lyman Bostock's bat was barely audible in April and May, but it's ringing now, and a growing chorus of Angel supporters is singing its praises. It's been a season of highs and lows, shifts and changes for Lyman and the whole Angel team. As for how Lyman had emerged from the slump, he alluded to the pressure when talking to the Associated Press. I wanted to do so well, not so much for the money, but playing here for the first time. They're not paying me for this year. They pay for what you did in the past, but I wanted to earn it this year. His teammates, Kenny Landro and Carney Lansford. Oh man, he commanded all of the attention most of the time, you know. After every game, you know, because of that contract, and, because, and then because all of a sudden, he started catching on fire. Meet The media was at his locker after every game. We used to call him, his nickname was Abdul Jibberjammer because he never shut up. He was always talking, always positive, always having a good time, never a dull moment in the clubhouse. With the second half of the season, Lyman got hot, and he, so he was back. While Lyman's contributions on the field were on the rise, his efforts in his community remained. In July, he was honored as the Big Brother of the Year in the Los Angeles area for his work with teens through the Vermont Square Church. That summer, baseball was largely fixated by another story, Pete Rose's incredible 44-game hitting streak. So that's the story from Atlanta. Pete Rose facing a tough pitcher. Phil Negro has done his job. He has the base hit, and now we return you to the ball game in your area. That same summer, Lyman hit safely in 39 of 42 games. But the big blow is delivered by free agent Lyman Bostock. After batting 172 the first month of the season, Bostock's bat warmed with the weather. By the time August arrived, Lyman was hitting 289. By the middle of the month, 300. Over nearly four months, from June into the final week of September, he'd batted 331, the second-best hitter in the American League. In a late September series, the Angels were facing the Chicago White Sox. The middle game would be Saturday afternoon, September 23, 1978. A day game. It would be the final game he'd ever play and the last afternoon of his life. The phone rings. It was our trainer, Fast Freddie. And Freddie goes, I got some bad news right now, man. Uh, uh, Lyman got shot. I said, what? On the next episode of Wesley, a gunshot pierces the night and reaches across the country. Someone from the organization called and told me that he had been shot. Shock. Shock. Like, you just you got to get there. Because at that point, we didn't know what the severity of the injury or what to expect. That's next time on Wesley.
Wesley is produced for Fox Sports Audio in conjunction with Blue Duck Media. It's reported, written, and hosted by me, Tom Rinaldi. Executive producers are Eric Shanks, Charlie Dixon, and me for Fox Sports. Gabe Goodwin and Scott Turkin for Blue Duck Media. Sound mixing and original scoring from Steve Porter and Porterhouse Media. Editing and sound design by Mike Goldstein. Audio field recording from Alan Chow. The terrific Jen Roman is our producer and production manager. Script consulting and research by the beautiful mind of David Sabino. Additional production and research from the quartermaster, Quincy Tucker. Production support from Jonathan Berger, Matt Engelberg, Michael Vader, and Ben Redmond. Special thanks to Euvine Whistler and her family, the Lyman Bostock family, the incomparable Willie Weinbaum, Major League Baseball, and ESPN. The